The title word uh, Samaritan has, I think, for most of us become sort of synonymous with doing good, largely because of hospitals, right? Good Samaritan Hospital, Desert Sam, you know, I mean, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so many hospitals named after the Samaritan in this parable. But we have to remember that while this was a good Samaritan, for the most part, the Israelites and the Samaritans really, really hated each other. Like hated each other so much that, you know, there were murders, there were beatings, there was savagery really between the two groups. They really, really hated each other, which makes the point of this parable all the more, you know, powerful. And so, you know, the man is asking him, scholar of the law, what, you know, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's in the law? Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he asks, who's my neighbor to Jesus? Well, who's my neighbor? And it's interesting because Jesus doesn't actually answer the question. He kind of turns it around, right? I mean, in a sense, he doesn't say, well, everyone's your neighbor. He actually gets him to focus on the one who was acting like neighbor, Samaritan, who presumably wouldn't have. And then the priest and the Levite coming down, not acting like neighbor. And they're the ones who should have. Well, let's look at, look, look at sort of the scenery a little bit. So Jerusalem to Jericho. It's quite a walk and it's quite a ways downhill. And you might say, well, Father, have you been to the Holy Land? To which I would say, yes, I've been to Lambeau Field. <laughs> but I haven't been to the, the Middle East. So, you know, I, some of you have been there, so you probably might remember what this looks like. But anyway, so you're in Jerusalem and as a priest and a Levite, you would have had been working in the temple. You would have been doing your duty in the temple, and then you were probably going home, walking down a very steep decline and quite a ways toward Jericho. And for a priest or a Levite, right, an Israelite priest or Levite, um, if they touched a dead body, they would be unclean. So then they would have to go through this whole ritual purification to become clean again, which meant if they helped him or if they touched a dead body, they would have to turn around and go back up the hill to Jerusalem and go through all of the ritual purification, which meant not being able to go home, not being able to, it was a huge inconvenience. So, you know, maybe they're walking by and they just figure, well, I don't know, but he looks dead to me and nothing I can do and off they go. They couldn't be concerned. It was too much trouble. The Samaritan comes by and sees the man and of course we know what he did. Um, and not only did he just sort of check on him, I mean, there's no 911 to call, there's no ambulance coming, right? So basically he's it. Right? If the Samaritan goes and helps him, he's kind of in for whatever it's going to take, which the priest and the Levite probably knew as well. Again, they didn't want to be inconvenienced. The Samaritan, however, was okay with that. And not only was he just a little bit inconvenienced, he checked on him, cleaned his wounds, bandaged him, took him to an inn, stayed with him overnight, cared for him. 
and then gave two days wages to the innkeeper and said, look after him, I'll come back and check. Not just check on him, but I'll check on you that you took care of him. He was lavish. I mean, that was far more than, than would ever be expected probably for a lot of people, let alone a foreigner who, you know, presumably they didn't get along. Nobody would ever expect a Samaritan to do that for a Jew or vice versa. And therein lies the point. What does it mean to be neighbor, love neighbor as self? What does it mean to be neighbor? And who is my neighbor? Everybody is your neighbor, is what the Lord is saying. Everybody who's in need. And so the, you know, the injunction for us then, I mean, obviously, uh, we have to extrapolate, right? It's not just like, okay, you see a dead body, you should do something. <laughs> you know, it, when, you, when you bring that into everyday life, it looks a little different. Looks a little different. I don't know if you're, you know, if you're in school and there's the new kid or the kid that's being picked on or the kid that's not popular or, or whatever, maybe even by their own doing, what does it mean to be neighbor to them, to reach out to them, to help them to feel included? to help them to feel like they have dignity and somebody actually cares about them. And of course, the lessons from kindergarten and grade school pretty much hold all the way through adulthood, the same kinds of things. You know, reaching out to, to those who are in need can mean a lot of things, not just you know, physical ailment or psychological ailment or whatever difficulties, um, but it, it could also just mean including somebody. It could mean... Um, just the kindness you give to somebody who doesn't really maybe even deserve it. You might think, well, gosh, I don't even like this person. Yeah, that happens a lot. Or this person has been rude to me. I should be rude to them. You know, like when you're driving in the left-hand lane and it's not between three and seven, and so they can pass you in the carpool lane, but they don't. They just ride right up against you the back and they flash their lights. And you might think, what does Father John do? Well, he turns up the radio, but um, <laughs> go around me. Anyway, that's a bad example. Um, you know, there's, <laughs> but there's all kinds of people, you know, but when they do pass by, the gesture you choose to make or don't make, right? I mean, it's little, it is little things. It's not, a, you know, we get this big story about this guy who's on the point of death because Jesus is making a point, but it's not just about those instances. It's really when you get to the everyday, you know, it's the cashier who looks like she's just having a horrible day and isn't particularly friendly, but you could be friendly. I mean, I've actually, I'm not really good at this because I'm just grumpy all the time, but um, not all the time. Well, a lot. Anyway, especially in the store. But, you know, when you extend yourself to somebody who's having a bad day, it could turn their day around. You know, it could turn, or even somebody else you see in the store, or, or just even as you're leaving and that, that person is going so slow. You wonder if they've ever driven a car before, you know? And you could get really mad and you could honk and you could, but you don't have to, right? It's, it is the little things too, as well as the big things, as well as the big things. Those are just more obvious. I think sometimes we excuse ourselves, oh, it wasn't a big deal, you know? Well, 
But the Lord is looking for virtue. He's looking for us to be better, right? And not just in the big obvious things, but in in the small every day. That's really where holiness and virtue grow, are in these little things, these little moments. You know, that new kid who comes into class, I guess we're we're out of school, but but kids, you know what I mean. That new kid who comes into class and you know, who's gonna be the first one to go up to him and make them feel welcome. It's that kind of thing that Jesus is looking for from us. So that's the first thing to look at with this parable. But there's a second thing, which is, ironically, that Jesus is actually considered a good Samaritan. You know, if you will, a, um, an icon of, of the very parable that he delivers. The reason why it's ironic is because, of course, he was Jewish and not Samaritan, right? It's not what you would expect for him to have that sort of the image of the Good Samaritan. However, this is, in fact, one of the ways that he is seen. And and why is that? Well, because we're basically that person lying in the ditch. I mean, in our relationship with God and in our our position before God, because of our sinfulness, because of our sufferings, because of our victimization that's happened to us, because of all kinds of things, we're basically that person left for dead. Every single one of us. And some of us really, really feel that. Like some of us have really been through that. Old people, young people, middle-aged people, lots of people have felt that they've just been sort of left for dead. Like, I just need to be saved. I need to be rescued. I, need to, I, I can't do it. I need somebody else to help me. And in this way, the Lord Jesus becomes an image of the Good Samaritan, who if we call upon him, it's kind of necessary in our relationship with him, we have to let him in. He comes to us, you know, heals our wounds, binds us up, and takes care of us. He is lavish with his care. Now, that, that even becomes a tricky thing because we might also say, well, okay, but God didn't heal me the way that I wanted to be healed, right? I wanted him to bring about X, Y, and Z, and he brought about A, B, and C, That's not the way I wanted to be healed. I wanted to be healed this way. But here's the thing. When you're lying in the ditch, left for dead, you really ought not argue about how the person saving you is saving you. And I think that this very much happens in our life with with Jesus, that we'd like, we think salvation or fixing something or God intervening looks like this. And from our perspective, it does. But from his perspective, it often looks like something else. And one of the things that we you know, need to try to open our hearts to and, and, and trust that however God is going to intervene, shower his graces, heal us, that he perhaps has a greater view and vision of what we really need as opposed to what we want. Parents, you know this all the time. You deal with it with your kids all the time, 
right? I was actually just talking to a family after the last mass, and the little girl was talking to her, and I said, how many donors did you have? And she said, well, I just had one, but I wanted two. And um, I said, well, why didn't you get two? Well, mom and dad wouldn't let me. And I'm like, okay, well, that, you know, that's fine. And they're like, well, that's because if you have two, you don't get to have dessert later. And so we know that that's gonna upset you. So you get one now and then you can have one later. Anyway, obviously this is a parent thing, right? Parents can see into the future. They have eyes in the back of their head. They can read minds, all this stuff. And they know what's, you know, generally best for their little ones, the little ones. It's not a whole lot different with God. It's not a whole lot different that God can see beyond just our immediate needs and wants and is trying to secure something even greater than we're asking for. But we really have to trust him. We have to really put our lives in his hands. And so in this way, not only does the parable become Jesus as an image of the Good Samaritan, but we become an image of the one left for dead. And that it's our God who has come to us, rescued us, healed us, brought us back to life, and has set us on a path that's even greater than what we could have set upon ourselves. Please stand.